0: Amen. So, um, we are in Hebrews chapter 11 and it is commonly referred to as the hall of faith. And, um, I have taken the time we've, we've actually had two studies in Hebrews chapter 11, and we've made it as far as, as I said, verse 29, um, I've taken the time on the two previous studies and I want to this evening to um, make sure we understand what faith is. Because especially inside Christianity, um, there's some very strong false teaching about faith. Uh, Faith is not a power that you wield. Okay? It's not something that you, um, I guess it would be, you possess faith, but the, the, the strength of faith, the power of faith is not you, okay? It's it's what are you placing your faith and your trust in, okay? Um, you can have all the faith in the world in like Bhagwan Rajneesh, and you're going nowhere, you know? Buddha, Mohammed, Uh, It's not going to accomplish anything. You know, these people, you know, some of them are dead. Others are alive, but they're just human beings. Okay. So faith is not, um, you know, I'm trusting in this and therefore the strength I have, you know, accomplishes these things. We talked about the word of faith movement. Rodney Howard Brown, Lakeland, Florida Uh, A number of those preachers, uh, you know, if you followed it throughout the years, you know, the the Toronto blessing and all of these different things that have gone on, uh, that'll shipwreck your faith. Okay, because, um, you, you know, they're telling you that, you know, God used faith to create, which the scripture confirms, okay, and it's not our kind of faith. Uh, you know, it's the faith that, uh, interestingly enough, knowing his own power and his own strength, when he says, let there be light, there's light. Okay? Well, the Word of Faith movement says uh, you can wield that same power. So if you want to be wealthy and you're currently poor, just just say, I am wealthy. <laughs> You'll be wealthy. Uh, you know, every one of us in this room should know that's a false narrative. Okay. But they—they they, they, it's a power of positive confession or a negative confession, and they say that you're affecting yourself. If you're if you're impoverished, if you're sick, that's because you don't have enough faith. Okay. Well, this isn't the issue. Okay. It's what you place your faith in. Because see, the reason that fails most miserably is because you if if you are actually saying that power lies within me, then it's almost like the Lord is going to back away and say, "Well, then have at it, kid." You believe in yourself wholeheartedly that you're going to make yourself wealthy by simply believing in your ability to make it, then go. Healthy, have at it. It doesn't change, right? We, We are fallible. We are not God. And if you go, well, of course not. Well, the Word of Faith movement has actually taken detours into thinking that way. Benny Hinn was saying in 92 and 93, I am a little God. You are a little God. Heresy. False teaching. I I gave the illustration. The book of Acts, the Roman Empire, has seized James, the brother of John. They've killed him. That pleases the Jews. So they capture Peter, and they're going to kill him. They've got him in prison. And there's a bunch of Christians that are praying locally in that town at that time. As Peter is in prison, an angel appears in prison, literally kicks Peter and wakes him up, says, get your junk. We're leaving. I'm paraphrasing. And, uh, and we're leaving. I said last week, it's it's the new Will Cass version. So they, you know, they they leave the prison and it's not until Peter's out on the street. That he realizes he's not dreaming. The angel disappears and knowing where the believers are and that they're in prayer meeting and Bible study. He goes to that house. He bangs on the gate. The little girl, Rhoda, sees him. She's so overjoyed. She runs in to tell everybody at the Bible study, Peter's at the gate. And they are so filled with faith because they're praying that Peter will get released from prison. They say, you're crazy. And when she insists all the more, they say, oh, darn it. They must have already killed Peter. And that's his ghost. Think about that, right? Their their prayers of faith have been answered. The answer is standing at the door, yet they don't believe it. So do you understand that faith is not a power you wield? It's not generated from inside you. It's complex for us because we've heard that so much. What it is, is the strength of the one you're placing your trust in. Okay, turn of the century, there was a, an acrobatic performer who had a cable strung across Niagara Falls. And he did a series of stunts and walked back and forth with his balancing stick. And at one point, he took a wheelbarrow and he walked across the cable, pushing the wheelbarrow in front of him. He came back to the audience and said to them, do you think I can do it again? And they all cheered, yes. And he said, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? Trusting in Jesus Christ's capabilities, right? Your knees are going to knock together. Your teeth are going to chatter. Your hands are going to shake as you trust Jesus Christ's capabilities. You may be filled with fear and intrepidation. That does that not counted to you as faithlessness. Right? That's the human element. And once you've done that a bunch of times, you may get to the place where you have confidence enough to say, Jesus Christ has got it. He can handle it. I've seen this before. Let's all just charge ahead. And the people around you will go, this guy's a lunatic. But you have experience with our lord and master and that's what the author of hebrews is trying to tell us is look all right at the beginning of this chapter it says there's a great cloud of witnesses they're not watching us with critical eye saying oh this one's going to screw up bad no no it's the opposite they are saying hey we've been through it and let me testify to you that i trusted the lord and you can too that's what it means For them to be a great cloud of witnesses. They're testifying to us from the scriptures that Jesus Christ is trustworthy. We can rely upon their experience and their strength, and then we we acquire our own experience and our own strength, and we can move forward. You should never think that because you're struggling to believe that that somehow equals faithlessness. Continue to trust Jesus Christ and let him prove himself to you. Let him prove what he's capable of. We went through the uh, outlying description we talked about Abraham. We talked about the patriarchs. We talked about Moses. And then we came to verse 30 where we'll pick up this evening. And it says, by faith. The walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. And there's a lot of explanation to that. But let me say this. Okay, I'll try to just be as brief on each of these points as I can. We have been able to examine the walls of Jericho. Okay? They are still lying in ruins where they were knocked down. The fortresses in the day built from massive blocks of Uh, different rock, but they were all cut and designed to have a slight inward taper, right? So that in the encircling, they pressed together, leaning inward, right? It was a brilliant uh, system of engineering. The walls were compressing themselves in strength. All of the walls of Jericho fell outward right Uh, we've been through a lot of different research there were critics of it and then later disproven right because underneath it vegetation was buried where the blocks landed and they were able to confirm when and where that vegetation was blossoming and growing and it, it is exactly as the scripture records we we have seen small sections of city walls be pulled down by invading armies, so some blocks right fell to the outside. The point I'm making about the vegetation is all of the walls fell all at the same time, right? Encapsulating the vegetation that was in bloom at the same time. So it wasn't like they worked on this section, took those down weeks later, another section, months later, finishing up. The the whole of the encircling wall fell outward and landed at the same time. Fires were subsequently burning things up and a number of different things, and the critics all want to squirrel around with the bottom line. Walls that are designed to, if they fall, they're going to fall inward, fell outward, and they all fell at the same time simply by God's power right there there was no siege work that was even capable of accomplishing that no machinery of war that was even capable of accomplishing that God supernaturally pushed the walls down which is what the scripture records so by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled seven days by faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. You know, don't listen to the critics about you know all of the different aspects of what the scripture records. What the scripture says is absolutely accurate regarding these things. Uh, you know, this woman was a harlot. And when the two spies came into her house, she makes very bold proclamations about when you as a nation 40 years earlier crossed the Red Sea, this whole nation was filled with terror at the power of God. We've been waiting for the day where you would arrive here and conquer us. What a waste of 40 years. As Israel wanders around learning the power and the faithfulness of God. you know, I, I can criticize them easily, but I have to examine my own failures in the process. Things God told me when I first surrendered my life to him. I'm going to conquer this in your life. And I hung on to it like some pet project until... He finally said, are you ready to let go of that? I was so convinced that it wasn't possible, couldn't happen. And then you just have to open your hand. Surrender your will to the Lord. She believed, perhaps even more than the Israelites did. She took the men in. And I'll point out, right, again, don't think I'm encouraging you to lie. But uh, she lied to the leadership of Jericho, and God honored her for it. The same as the midwives lied to Pharaoh about the children that were being born to the Hebrew women when Pharaoh had said, you need to throw your children into the Nile and drown them. I say that. Because right now we're being told, you must stop going to church. And if you're a good Christian, you will obey the government. I can't obey a government that's telling me to disobey God. So, you know, if you have questions about that, come and talk to me. When they're showing up at our door and saying, are you hiding Jews here or hiding Christians here, I'm going to look them right in the face and say, no. And the basement will be full and the attic will be full and I don't even care. We have to obey God. When it comes down to do I obey men or do I obey God, then you obey God. That's what you have to do. And that's what Peter and John said, right? They said, you can no longer preach in the name of Jesus. And they said, well, you tell us whether we're supposed to obey men or God, but we're going to obey God. And they continued to preach. Even that very hour, right? They continued to preach. So consider how that might help you in this. Uh, Verse 32. And what more shall we say, or what more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Remember Gideon, right? Talk, talk about a guy who was chicken, right? Hiding, you know, from the Midianites. And God says, you know, mighty man of valor. And he's stunned by the title, you know. Least of nations, least of tribes, least of family, least in my family, how can you call me mighty man of valor? Why? Because he's trusting God. And he takes big steps in trusting the God in God. There's, a, there's a, a great deal that is said there. Barak, you may recall his work with Deborah, who was the judge of Israel. And you know, keep that in mind, gentlemen and ladies. Uh, God is not sexist. He uses women in leadership. Civil leadership, frequently we see that, you know, Esther, others along the way. The Lord specifically wants male leadership in two locations, the home and the church. And that's not to be dominant, right? That's that we would submit ourselves to Christ, gentlemen, that we would be as Christ and serve these dear people. That's what we're called to do. We're called to serve, provide, and protect. That's how we are designed. You know, the the actual molecular structure of our person is designed to do all of that. Testosterone sees fit to that in the womb, changes us into men. You can never change that, right? Our culture thinks that it can. You cannot We are male to the molecular level. Females are females to the molecular level. And you cannot change it with any form of genetic therapy. You can destroy it and scar it and torture it, but you cannot change it. Our culture is always been listening to demonic influences so deborah with barack samson how in the world i say again did that guy make it into the hall of faith how incredible incredible that his name is here right god gives him some basic instructions right do not touch it's a Ken Graves taught us the rot, uh, the, the raisin, or the razor, okay? So the grapevine, you know, the decomposing of death, nor the haircut, the razor, okay, the rot, the raisin, or the razor. And he kills the lion and goes back to the dead carcass and eats the honey out of it right so he's even consuming from the decomposition consider that right consumes of the wine consumes of the grape so hey you know god hasn't blown me up yet so why don't we mess with my hair a little bit you know we'll incrementally take steps up to the haircut some of you guys know what i'm talking about I'll see how close I can get to the edge. You know, I haven't been destroyed yet, or yet, or yet, or darn. <laughs> and that's exactly how it went down. He knew the haircut was coming. Right? He knew it, if you're deceived about that. He knew that Delilah was going to cut his hair. Why? Because everything he had said, she did, right? Tie me up in new ropes. Weave my hair into the loom. What do you think's coming next, pal? haircut so disobedience and selfishness are the earmarks of his whole existence and we know right they gouge out his eyes and now he's just turning the grist mill he's walking around in a circle grinding grain every day like an ox and his hair begins to grow out and then the philistines are having a party And they want to mock Samson and Samson's God. So they bring him in. And Samson asks a young servant to place his hands upon the central pillars of that amphitheater. And he asks God for the strength to collapse the whole building on all of the Philistine lords. So his final act as a servant of God is that he kills himself. And he says to God, let me do this because of what they did to my eyes. Not, not God, they've defamed your great name. Not God, they've destroyed your people. Nothing of a noble cause. His motivation in his final moment is self. Self. And yet his name is recorded here. Oh, the grace of God. The grace of God. This is a man who demonstrates to us utter failure. And yet God says, that one belongs to me. So listen, if you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, okay, well, I like your list. That's some nice, neat, you know, believers along the way admirable you got to take that dirt bag right in the middle of the whole picture who literally had the printed list of these are the requirements for your life and he went no 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 and threw them away and god says that was a man of faith that's bizarre because we measure according to our standards samson was trusting in god Difficult as that is for us to grasp, Samson was trusting God. How was he trusting God? He accomplished God's will. He did it even as he was rebelling, but he accomplished God's will all throughout the process. If you are a person who is looking at your long list of failures... Know that God accepts you is the point. God accepts you. He loves you. You can't, you can't look at anything that Samson did and say, well, but that was admirable. <laughs> no, no, no. What was admirable was the one that he was trusting in. That's what was admirable he was trusting in god let me do this he couldn't have pushed those pillars down if god had not given him that strength right if you're if you got that sunday school flannel graph that takes some of us back you know if you got sunday school flannel graph in your head and samson is a herculean you know wwf and that takes us back wrestler <laughs> he was a little jewish dude for real. He did his great feats of strength and everybody goes, how in the world did he do that? If, if he was a muscle-bound freak, everybody would go, oh, I see how he did that. He was not. He did things that were humanly impossible. He ripped the gates of a city out of the ground, out of the wall, off their hinges, carried the whole framework and doors more than a mile away. Planted them in the ground. Jawbone of a donkey, kill a huge stack of Philistines. Not, not, right, because of his strength. Those guys would never have come against him. The spirit of the Lord came upon him, it says, and he was filled with strength. And the next occasion, and the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he was filled with strength. And the next occasion, and the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he was filled with strength. He was an ordinary, average guy that God used. And he trusted God. And his name is included here. Failure, 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 finish with a failure. And God is there loving Samson. I wish his name wasn't here. It'd be much easier for me to understand. To read the other names and go, well, that makes sense, and that makes sense. And you'd stick Samson and go, wait, is this a typo? It's not. Why? Because it's always been about the grace of God. Always. Right? People, people have literally, I've had conversations where people say, well, I mean, the New Testament salvation is by grace. No. No, who is the father of all of this? Abraham, right? And what does the New Testament tell us about Abraham's salvation? That he trusted in God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Grace. It wasn't what he had done. It was the grace of God. Salvation has always been through God's grace. And it will ever be. In fact, that's how this section ends, by telling us that salvation has always been by faith. It's the grace of God through faith that we experience these things. So here you have Samson listed. Jephthah, again. Say again. It's not going to do anything better, I can guarantee you that. Um, So here's the deal. Jephthah, do do we remember Jephthah? He makes great oath to God about his daughter. First thing I see come out of the, the, the tent, I'll offer it up to you. Return home, daughter comes out. There's a lot of scholars that want to argue about, yes, yes, he gave his daughter to God, but how did he do it? Listen, I don't know how he did it. The oath that he took was that he was gonna offer her as a sacrifice. Um, I, I wrestle with that. I'd love to redefine it for us. The scripture is silent upon how it is accomplished, so I have to just remain silent. But but in the end, look, I get Jephthah alone, I'm gonna slap him silly. Like, were you what were you hoping? Was going to come out of your tent. You know. Do you have a bad relationship with your wife? Is that annoying dog? You know. Something meaningless. Whatever you were thinking. That's a really bad call to make. You know god accomplish this work in my life and i will give him you know i will sacrifice the life of the first thing that greets me from my tent wow rash rash decision have you made rash decisions <laughs> right have you done things with your life that you if i could just Fling it right out here for everybody to see right now. You would just crawl out the door as fast as you could. Right? You would just hang your, you would cover your face and run away in shame. Jephthah. Hall of faith. Why? Because of who Jephthah was trusting in. We should not look at any of their conduct and go, yeah, that's what got him in. No, no, no. It's who they're placing their trust in. They're trusting in the one true living God. They, they, these are recorded here so that you can find the one you identify with and say, Lift that loser, can make it in. I can ride those coattails. You know, there's some other people recorded here that are an entirely different class than me so much better than me but look if we can look at these who are such miserable failures and understand god loves them then that means he will love you that he does love you i like how joe foch puts it right he says you know god is love he is the God of love. So it's not surprising that he loves us. What's astonishing is he likes us. That's, that is a stretch, right? Because we say that about people, you know, God bless him. I love that guy. You know? <laughs> I force myself to. You know, I take the steps that equal me loving. I haven't caved his head in. You know, that we we think along these lines, right? I didn't do bad, and that equals good by my calculations. (laughs) That's not how God looks at it at all, right? He loves us. He likes us. I would never include these names, many of them, never, right? Who am I most deeply associated with? Oh, well, winner number one, and winner number two, and, you know. Oh, exemplary number three. And instead, you know, Jesus, like, scrapes the scum off the bottom of the barrel and says, this one. (laughs) Remarkable. Remarkable. That should put some humility in your mouth that God has chosen you despite you. Loves you despite you. It's a gracious thing. Wonderful. So then he says, also David. And oh, well, sure. Wonderful David. You know, murderous David. Adulterer David. Thief David. You know, read in detail again. He flakes out during a period of his life. And you read in the King James that he put people under the axe and made them pass through the fire. Interesting. And then as you decipher the language, what you find out was he was literally taking his men and hacking people to pieces and burning them alive. When he was at the depths of his sin and falling away from the Lord, his behavior as a militant soldier was abominable. This is part of the reason that he said, you can't build my temple. it wasn't just that he'd gone to war. It was that you're a man of blood. You have demonstrated that in your heart is a wickedness that would freak people out. Yeah, have, have you done that? You've drawn the line in the sand and said, well, okay, fine. I did whatever, but at least I've never, well, okay, now that I've done that, at least I've, okay, I guess I would be capable. And each line that passes you, you finally get to the point where you're like, I'm, I'm not even going to say it again. Because I'm learning I'm capable of terrible things. The grace of God, you guys. David's name. Listen here. This, this, this has to Right. I say again. Now hear me again. When, when this passage tells us there's a great cloud of witnesses, there's a whole bunch of Christianity that has taught that this great cloud of witnesses are all spectators to our race. And as we're running along and succeeding, they're cheering for us. But as we begin to falter and fail, oh, they boo us horribly because they're witnessing our failures. No, that's not what it is at all. I tell you again, they are the miserable failures who are saying, you can make it, man. If he let me cross the finish line, he'll let you cross too. That's how how they're witnessing to us. They're testifying to us of God's grace. I think it's very arrogant to flip that around. I don't think we're examining our failures close enough if we're acting like, oh, well, yeah, they're there scrutinizing our walk, our race, our success. I, I think that there's a great deal of arrogance. I think we're... You know, in danger of whitewashing our tomb at that point you got to dredge up what is the depth of your filth hey, well, none of us want to know but you got to look at it yourself and understand oh God is good God is so gracious so kind to to have sacrificed himself right because that's what we're talking about you know, looking at the failures, I mean, you know, if, you, if you're if you an organ donor, right, I mean, if somebody's going to get your liver, you're probably going to look around and make sure you're not giving it to an alcoholic, right? Someone who's just going to destroy your liver. You know, you want it to go to some pure, innocent, young woman who's, you know, just starting her life, <laughs> The Lord sacrificed his life for us. Here's a musician, Christian musician, Steve Taylor. Don't confuse him with anybody else. um, He produced the Newsboys and a number of other bands. And he's done some solo music. And he wrote a song years ago called Jesus is for Losers. And the summary is, we're all losers. And Jesus is for losers. If you don't think you're a loser, then, well, maybe Jesus isn't for you. You got to look at yourself and understand what it is that he's giving to you. David and Samuel. Okay, now we're up into a realm that we enjoy, right? Samuel. And the prophets. Yeah, right. Like, isn't that where I thought we should... Well, now take these in contrast. Wait a minute. Samuel, so exemplary. The prophets stand about, and yet these are on the same playing field? Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How does that work? Because it's the grace of God. It, it isn't performance-based. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stomped the mouths of lions, right? Daniel. Remarkable. You know, I don't know if you've ever examined this before, but uh, historically, lion's dens were kept for executions, and they would keep them down in a pit. Lions are capable of leaping vertically almost 18 feet. Okay. This ceiling right here, Is not even 10. So nearly double that. Lion's dens were deep holes, very deep holes, right? Because when you take the lid off, you don't want, surprise, lion (laughs) greeting you. Lion needs to stay down in deep hole, okay? Daniel is in his 90s. When he's guilty of disobeying the edict and praying, and they throw him down in that hole. Remember the last time you fell 16, 18 feet? Right? Three or four feet hurts. Right? Uh, imagine you're 90, your frail carcass chucked down that hole. He was preserved from the fall. It says that the Lord closed the mouths of the lions. Like, were lions trying? (laughs) You know? When when a 350-pound predator with seven-inch claws is smashing his muzzle up against you, trying to open his mouth, and consume you, there's probably going to be several hours where the panic in your heart is overwhelming. I don't know that it went down like that, but the way it's described is literally they closed the mouths of the lions. You know, maybe just angelic being appeared in there and huge, ominous, supernatural being just said to lion, cut it out. I don't know how it went down, but when we read that, you guys, you have to take into account, they also would starve the lions. They would feed them very little. So it's not just that they're hungry. They're at the point where that whole hierarchy system is in play amongst the lions. And when the meat comes through the door, there's a terrifying frenzy where they're competing for lunch. Daniel is the main course, and he's preserved through the process. Remarkable to consider when you have to look at your circumstances and say, you don't know what I'm up against, Will. You don't don't understand the legal ramifications of what I'm dealing with. (laughs) Really? The legal ramifications of disobeying a king knowing that there's a hole in the ground that contains lions that's waiting for you. Serious. Serious ramifications on the other end of it. Quenched the violence of fire. Shut the mouths of lions. Quenched the violence of fire. Through faith. Who would we be referring to there? Probably Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. You know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right, Bow down and worship. Forget it. I'm not going to worship. I love that statement they make. The king says, heat the furnace seven times more than normal. It's destroying the furnace. It's so hot. It kills the men who throw them in when you get down to the punchline. The fire consumes the men who throw them into the flames. Okay, And what do they say? Their final words before the entrance is, We're going to be delivered from you either by the fire or through the fire. What a remarkable statement of faith. Either way, we're not going to have to listen to you anymore. Burned up to ash or miraculously preserved, the fire is our exit plan. You know what's remarkable, right? If you've read the story, they're thrown into the fire. The king looks into the furnace. He throws three in, but now he sees four walking around, and he says that the fourth looks like the Son of Man, meaning the Son of God. That was a title assigned to the Messiah, the Savior. He beckons to them. They walk out of the flames. The only damage that they have from the fire, is that the ropes they were bound with are burned up. Their clothes don't even smell like the smoke. Remarkable examples for us. Uh, Right next to despicable examples like David and Samson and Jephthah. Right? Because we admire Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. and We might have a little pedestal for them. And what we're being told is, oh, if you admire Samuel the prophet and these people, understand they're on the same playing field, same level. You need to walk out of this study tonight with not in arrogance, but with your head held high, knowing that God has elevated you to this place. If you're trusting Jesus Christ, then, that, then he thinks of you on this level, right? Notice he didn't divide these into two classes, right? like to talk to you about those with superior faith, and then we'll discuss with you those of inferior faith. Right? He doesn't do that. Puts them all in the same class. The Holy Spirit does this so that you understand God's grace in your life and how he cares for you. It's a wonderful thing that he does there. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Lots of examples. Became valiant in battle. You know, 17-year-old boy David sinking a stone into the head of Goliath. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Lots of examples. Gideon and others fit into that. Women received their dead raised to life again. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 32, when Elisha went into the house of the widow and lay upon the child, and he was resurrected. We have other examples in the scripture. The Lord brings the dead back. But then notice this. It's not all victory on an earthly sense, right? Because you could get the wrong impression. Others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. Not accepting deliverance. Just make the blasphemous confession and you won't have to go through this. No thanks. And they went through it. That they might obtain a better resurrection. Right? There aren't different class conditions for resurrection. Right? There's either resurrected to judgment and death or resurrected to life and reward. Right eternal life, life and reward is better than judgment and death. they achieved the better resurrection. everybody's going to get resurrected. everybody right We often say that right? you know oh pray with me now and receive eternal life. That's true, I get it, uh, but the bottom line is you already have eternal life. everyone does. It's just where you're going to spend eternity. In the presence of the Lord or in hell, separated from him for all of eternity. You're going to live forever. Our soul is designed that way. These who trusted received a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings. Hey, wait a minute. Right, you're telling me through the fire, uh, beaten, killed with the sword, tortured is equal to mocking? Yeah, Jesus put it that way. Actually, Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are you when they revile you and say all kinds of evil against you, for so they treated the prophets. So even if you just live in a culture where if you say, I believe in Jesus and all of the college elite curl their lip at you (laughs) and snarl and say snide things, that's equal to, to being tortured to death for Christ. What? How does that work? Because this is God's economy. Right? No. <clears throat> Listen. If you smack my child, you're probably going to get smacked. If you say insultive things and spit upon my child, you're probably going to get Smacked. You can't mistreat my child. It's not allowed. It's not allowed. If I restrain myself, maybe that won't happen, right? But the point is, if you mistreat my child, you've offended me. And that's what the Lord is saying here. You know, some are tortured and killed. Others are mocked. And the Lord puts that all in the same glass condition. These are my kids. These are my people. This, this is mine. And you don't get to touch it that way. Take that to heart about how the Lord loves you and cares for you in these circumstances. Mocking, scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. That's probably referring to Isaiah. Manasseh, according to history, put Isaiah in a log and had the log sawed in half while Isaiah was alive. So, you know, Sod and Two were tempted. Oh, God understands your temptations even, right? Because you want to obey him, don't you? Sitting here right now, you you want to walk out this door and never have another failure. And yet, we're human. And the temptations come. There's going to come a time where our king rules this planet, and those temptations will not be present. Praise God. And right now we have to endure them. And don't they break our hearts when we fail? When we don't fail and we're just, the urge is there and we want to sin so badly. And we're ashamed of ourselves. Listen, it's not a pass. The Lord isn't winking at us saying, I know what you go through. Go ahead. It's not where it's at. He, He wants us to resist but he also understands the torture that it brings to your heart when you're a child of God. I I wouldn't class that in there, right? If we were doing this from a human sense, we would put faith in a category that said, if you screw up and you fail, then you don't have any faith. We're judgmental like that. Not, Not so. Not so with the Lord. So gracious, so kind. He understands our shortcomings. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Oh, man, there is a whole section of Christianity that says... If you are not prosperous, then you are a loser. Probably not a Christian. You got to be wealthy. You got to have good things. You need to, you know, said all kinds of terrible things about Jesus because of how he lived, right? He was on a continuous camping trip for three years, you know? The rich young ruler comes and says, I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus says, well, you're going to be bummed out. Because this is, like I say, nothing but a camping trip. And we don't even know where we're going to be sleeping tonight. You know, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. and We probably are going to put our head on a rock. That's how that's going down. And he goes away all bummed out. Listen. Those false teachers go so far now to say, no, 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 no. Jesus was not impoverished. He wasn't camping. He's not describing himself as being like the foxes or the birds who lived outside. Jesus was so wealthy that he didn't know which one of his homes he was going to be staying in that night. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Jesus rebukes money, rebukes those who love it, rebukes wealth constantly, continuously. We should never set our sights on that. If the Lord gives it to you, praise God. Praise God. Use it for his kingdom, right? And he does that to certain people. Usually he does it to people that have no problems with money whatsoever, right? They're not prone to going out and buying themselves things. They're prone to using it for the kingdom. He gives great wealth to people who will serve. There are those inside Christianity who have great wealth, and I'm just left wondering sometimes whether that's come from the Lord or other sources. So consider, you know, here, these, right? All of this terrible stuff, you know, they're wearing sheepskins, goatskins. you think, well, that's how they dressed in the day? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. That's what completely impoverished people wore. Right? Homeless, living in caves. That's where these guys are at. It is that the world was not worthy of them is the thing to take the greatest note of. These guys are suffering and skinny and eating grasshoppers and, you know, John the Baptist must have been a sight to see, huh? Wild bees do not give up their honey easily, right? Even if you've gotten very skilled at smoking them out, you're probably going to come away from the experience with at least one or two welts, you know. Then your beard's probably going to be really sticky anyway. Then you've probably got, you know, grasshopper legs and stuff just... As you stand up and say, Repent <laughs> and everybody's like, uh, Why in the world would you listen to this guy? You know? He's wearing camel's hair. What's with that leather belt? It's ridiculous. Just probably watches Duck Dynasty, you know. <laughs> the world is not worthy of them, is what the scripture says right i'm not encouraging you to like change your appearance and your demeanor and become something else what i'm telling you is you shouldn't look at other strata socially and think oh if only i could get up there then i would be acceptable christ christ right there's all kinds of, david was a, i mean david was a king daniel was a statesman right He was an ambassador traveling around. John and Isaiah were lowly, ill-clothed prophets. What's your station? The Lord loves you in that station. He accepts you in that station. This is is such a beautiful picture. And I don't think that the body of Christ takes appropriate time to break this down and understand what it is the Lord is saying. What it is the Lord is communicating about his acceptance. The Hall of Faith, right? You know, Hall of Fame. You're gonna, you're gonna be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. You have to have accomplished some pretty incredible things. You're gonna be in Football Hall of Fame, you know, Olympic level, something or other. You gotta you, I mean. You're not just the bad boy for the Montreal Expos in 1976. And making it into the Hall of Fame. You know, some sports fans are really grabbing that (laughs) illustration. Others are like, what? (laughs) Meaningless individuals don't make it there. Ah, but those who are completely rejected by their culture. You know. Just to qualify, the Montreal Expos that whole thing, baseball team, you know, doesn't even exist anymore. It's been changed. Listen, how about this? Their mascot is the only mascot to have been sold not only to another team, but to an entire different sport <laughs> from baseball into hockey. <laughs> That's how meaningless they were on the grand scale of things. You know, the point is that isn't God's economy is totally different. All you, all he's got to do is look to you, and is your face pointed straight back at him? Are you looking to him with your life? That's faith. Are you a failure? Are you a success? Are you whatever you are? Right. If you're looking at him, saying. You are mine. Then he's looking straight back at you saying, and you're mine. How gracious is that? How kind is that? Whatever terrible road, successful road is behind you, the grace of God just pulls you right in and says, this is mine. That is wonderful. That is wonderful. 39, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, right? And keep that proper definition of faith in place. They've obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, right? They didn't have the heavenly in their hands when they finished. That was in the presence of the Lord they they didn't they didn't see heaven on earth they didn't see the reward the finality was in the presence of the lord verse 40 god having provided something better for us not not the earthly that's the the point it's not the earthly regardless of where they were david was king right that wasn't that wasn't success uh, you know others were sawed in half you know if you're being if you're in the process of being sawed in half you, you you understand what i'm saying when you're you're dying through a torturous process you're not you're not going oh this is the great reward you can literally be saying as you exit this world what have i done wrong how did it come to this No, you think I'm extrapolating too far, right? As Jesus cries from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? The the reward is in his presence. The finality here, the close of this, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What's the reward? Jesus Old Testament saints, what was the finality? The ultimate rule, Jesus. You step through the veil into his presence and you go, there it is. (laughs) The thing my heart has longed for, I didn't even know it. I lost sight of it over and over again, but now I see it face to face. There's nothing greater than this. Nothing greater than this. Imagine, you know, I can only imagine. You know, what'll I do? What am I going to do? Am I sing, dance, you know, be broken down, you know, filled with joy? Hey, you cross that threshold and you see him face to face, and I, I can guarantee you, you have never imagined. Right? The Spirit may have revealed much to you, but it is going to be mind boggling to step into the presence of the one who created you. All of the pain, all of the struggle, all of the sorrow just gone in an instant. Praise God. Fix your heart upon the reward. Fix your heart upon Jesus and get rid of all those things we get so infatuated in this life with, right? They just tear us down, they sidetrack us, they stumble us. You've got got to get the image in your mind somehow of I'm, I'm pressing towards Jesus. So that when the snares come, when the stumbling is present, you say, this isn't it. My heart is set upon my king. Let him be your fulfillment. Amen? Amen. Well, that's the time we have. So why don't we stand and we'll pray? Father God, you are so gracious, so kind, so good to us. As far as organization goes, Abraham was that beginning. And you said to him, Genesis 15, I am your great reward. Help us to be men and women who grow in that knowledge more and more every day. That our hearts and minds would be fixed upon you. Lord, we have to confess. We're easily distracted. Save us from ourselves. That our lives would be focused on you and what it is you desire for us. A relationship with you. Fulfill us in these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.